Every married couple's unique. You're an us. And whether you're loving your us, wondering if your us is gonna make it, or somewhere in between, every couple at some level wants to become their best us. But do you know how? Well, to try and prove to you that I, well, I don't know if it'll prove anything at all, that I have some idea of what to talk about with the marriage series. I was going to bring my wife up here just to introduce her to you guys. But surprisingly enough, you, you may not know this, most people do not like to come on this stage. So she did not want to come on this stage. So I, I thought I'd show you a picture of us. This is when we actually got married. So, ah, isn't that so cute? Isn't he so chubby? I actually have no idea what I was so surprised by, but apparently I was shocked by the fact that my picture was being taken. We've been married for 24 years. It'll be 24 years on July 10th. So, yeah. So I've got 24 years of experience to share with you. Andrew said, 24 years, that's just, you know, it seems like 24 minutes underwater. That's, that was Andrew's joke. I, I said I'd say it, but I'm like, I don't know how it's going to go over. If, it's, if, if it fails, it's your fault. Well, some quick notes about this series that I did kind of want to kind of lay the groundwork for before we jumped in at all. Uh, I found this quote. This quote is going to seem like completely out of left field, but I'll bring it all together in just a second. This quote from Desmond Tutu says this, there comes a point where we need to stop pulling people out of the river and we need to go upstream and find out why they're falling in. As this quote has actually meant a lot to me. It actually means a lot to me about what I believe God is calling Holly and myself into when it comes to having an impact on marriages going into the future. At Relevant, we do a lot to help marriages that are in crisis. Uh, we do a lot to help pull people out of the river. But this series, I just want to make it clear right up front, this series is so much more about trying to keep people from falling in. Although I do believe, I do believe regardless of where your marriage is, if it's doing fantastic, if it's, you know, this is okay, or if it's on the verge of collapse, kind of wherever you're at on that giant spectrum of marriage. I believe if you take the principles and the habits and the practices we talk about over the next three weeks, I really believe it can have significant impact on your marriage. I also understand. I understand, I understand that sometimes things are so bad uh, that I may not even know how bad they are, that, that for you to actually move past them, to begin to restore and fix the things that are broken in your marriage, that, that you need to find some help. And so I wanted to let you know about some resources that we have here at Relevant uh, to help pull couples out of the river. And one of those things, you, or all those things you can find on our website, relevantcommunity.org forward slash couples. There's resources on this page that, that can kind of help you in all spectrums of where you're at in your marriage. I believe the easiest way for any of us to find the information is to use the Relevant app. You can go to the Relevant app and find all that you want to find. Isn't she hot? I mean, look at that. <laughs> this good looking lady right there. Anyway, you can find all the information you want to find about marriages, both helping you in crisis, kind of pulling you out of the river, and helping you before you ever even fall into the river. All that can be found uh, on our resources uh, for marriages on the app and on the website. I also always like to let you know when, I, when I've kind of used a resource as kind of some, to help with some of the content of a series, just in hopes that if you like what I have to say or, or want to go any deeper that, that you can do so. This one was actually uh, built upon a book. Um, I used... A, the book for a couple of weeks within this series and the title, as you can tell, uh, this book is called Your Best Us. And Your Best Us uh, was written by a guy named Ted Lowe. Ted Lowe is an author, a speaker, kind of a thought leader within 
the marriage world. And what's really awesome is Ted Lowe is actually going to be the guest speaker at an event that we're having right here at the Relevant Center on Friday, August 4th, called Your Best Night Out. And at this event, you just, it's a great opportunity for you as a couple to just take an awesome night out and just, and just get away and, and have some, some fun learning more about how to have a, a, the best marriage possible. Uh, you can find out all the information for that and register for that event. You're going to want to register because I think it will fill up pr pretty quick by texting the word night out to 55444. One last thing. One last thing before we jump into this series as a whole. Uh, I didn't really know where else to put this, but I, I knew I wanted to say it. If you're single... Uh, if you're a student, if you're young and you're single, or, or if, if, you hope, if you're single and you hope to be married one day, or, or if you're single and, and you know, like the Apostle Paul says, that being single is a blessing and you plan to stay that way, no matter where you're at on the single spectrum, I, I want you to know that I believe you can use a lot of the same principles and habits that I'm talking about within this series and actually implement them into any relationship that you have. And you can make that relationship better. It's my hope that you would do so and eventually begin to experience all the best that that relationship has to offer you. Well, when you got married, if you're married in the room, when you got married, you and your spouse, you became a very unique us. I mean, I think about that for a second. There's no other marriage that is exactly like yours. And you might be thinking to yourself, oh, how sweet. We're like a marital snowflake. Or, or you might be thinking, hey, thank God. There's no other us like ours because this us sucks. Like either where, no matter where you're at on that giant spectrum, uh, the thing that brings us all together in this room, the thing that brings us all together watching online is the fact that no matter where we sit on that spectrum, we all want to have, we all want to experience our best us. And so what does it take? What does it take to have a great us? I mean, we all know it's hard, right? That marriage requires hard work. At least that's what we've always been told. I mean, what's the most common thing you hear, you know, a couple give a, a young engaged couple or a newlywed couple some, some advice or some things that you say, they say to them as soon as they got married? Oh, you just got married? You're going to love it. It's the sweet, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. That may have been what you heard. I, I heard something else. I heard, oh man, you got married? Hmm. It's hard. It's, yeah, a lot of days are going to really suck, and you're not going to know why. Like, I'll save you some trouble trying to figure out why, though. It's probably because you said something stupid, even if you don't remember saying it. Or, or it could possibly be that you didn't say something that you were supposed to say that she expected you to say, and you didn't say it. Like, either way, it's hard, and you got to work hard at it, you know, whatever that means. And that's really the problem, right? Like most people can't even tell you what working hard in a marriage actually even means. So what are the things? What are the things that we have to work hard at to have a great us? Well, we've heard it before. Is, is it communication? I mean, probably. I mean, maybe on some level it's communication. I mean, it's certainly the most offered up piece of advice that people give to people who are going to get married or, or that want to have a great marriage is you got to have great communication. And that's not untrue at all. The only problem with communication being the foundation of a great marriage is that in any marriage, you have one spouse who communicates really well, and then you have my wife. <laughs> okay, so if it's not communication, it must be chemistry, right? Chemistry, that's what, that's what it is. That's what you got to have. And 
when we were when we were newlyweds or when we were an engaged couple about to be married, man, we had great chemistry. We had great chemistry. Like literally, you had chemistry. I mean, you you, you had chemicals in your brain. Studies tell us you had chemicals in your brain during the infatuation stage that were giving you kind of this euphoric feeling. And so when you first got married, you weren't just in love, you were kind of stoned a little, a little high. And these studies, they also actually show that, and you know this, if you've been married for any period of time, that those feel-good chemicals, man, they go away pretty quick. Often leaving a couple left with this, like, what happened? Like, where, where's this spark that we used to have? And so chemistry, chemistry alone, it, it cannot be what makes a great us. And so... What about compatibility? Compatibility, that, that has to be it. In fact, in our culture, many people, many people find each other through online dating apps where, where they're able to put into a computer, Here, here's all the things that I like, here's all the things that I'm looking for, and an algorithm spits out this perfect name of somebody that you're going to be compatible with. In fact, most of the marriages that I have overseen, that I have uh, performed recently, they've been couples that have met through dating apps. In fact, I just had a wedding, uh, meeting this week with a couple whose wedding I'm performing in November who got married on a dating app. Like, it, it just happens. And so it's easy to find compatibility today. So compatibility, that has to be it, doesn't it? I mean, maybe. But it seems like liking the same things, it, it kind of seems like a pretty weak foundation to build a marriage upon. And so what does it take? Like, what does it take to have a great us? Certainly on some level, it takes all of these things. For sure, all of these things it takes to have a great us. But I believe the real answers, I believe the real answer to these questions, that they're, they're far more simple than we've been led to believe. And I actually believe they're all in here. I believe they've been laid out for us in scripture. And, but let's be real for a second. If you know anything about this book, this book does not give us very many examples of marriage. And the ones it does give us an example of, they are more than just a little messed up. Like, they're not great. In fact, I don't even know of any stories of a, of a good marriage, let alone a great marriage in Scripture. But, but there are principles and there are habits that, that if applied, they, they have the opportunity, they can change everything for you because it's, it's your marital habits that either lead to connection or the disconnection of your us. And if you're not sure how you feel about the Bible, uh, if you don't even know if you believe the same things we believe, if you're still trying to figure this whole thing out, hey, good news for you. Amazingly enough, that the things that we believe we read in here to be true, scientific studies, scientific research are actually showing the same things to be true as well. And so you don't have to believe all of this stuff to, to implement some of the things that we're talking about and see it have impact in your life. And you might be saying, I know there's couples in the room. I know, I know there's people in the room who are saying this right now. Matt, you don't know. Like we are way, way past this point of small things equal big change mentality. We have real big issues. And you could be absolutely right. I, I don't know your issues. I don't know what's going on in your marriage. You could be dealing with continued over and over again infidelity. You could be dealing with abuse on a level that I would never know. And, and you could be right. Like you need to seek help to try and fix what's broken in your marriage. But for most of us, for most of us, 
Our marriages don't break apart because of the biggies. For most of us in the room and most people that you even know, I, I bet you would know this to be true, that most marriages, they dissolve slowly over time because of bad marital habits. And so what are they? What are, what are these habits, these practices that we can put into place to have a great us? Well, next week we're going to look at something called have serious fun. That's what we're going to call it next week. See, fun is so often considered an extra in marriage. Like if you have time, you'll, you'll make some fun in marriage. But fun actually leads to deeper connection. Deeper connection it leads to deeper intimacy and deeper intimacy leads to greater sex, which sounds like a lot of fun to me. And so we're going to talk about that next week. Uh, the, the, kind of the main point I'm going to lay out for you next week is the best way to protect your marriage is to enjoy your marriage. It seems so simple, right? And then week three, Pastor Jimmy, he's going to preach week three. And when you got married, you, you, you said some pretty big I do's. You made some pretty big promises. And Pastor Jimmy's just going to help us know how to live out in our marriages ways to practice our promises. But today's habit, uh, today's habit, well, it just seems a bit too easy. I, I mean, this is all supposed to be so hard, right? Here's what psychologist Dr. Frey had to say about today's habit. He says this. Uh, we have convinced a generation that a group of PhDs like me have tucked away all the difficult secrets to marriage and that the average Joe and Sue married couple has to somehow extract and interpret those secrets. When in actuality, most couples have just forgotten the basics, like being kind. So I had breakfast with uh, Jen and Scott Mary, and they're an elder couple of ours here at Relevant. And they oversee our, uh, our marriage support teams. So all the resources you'll find on that website or on the app, like they oversee the people who lead those different teams. And I sat down with them and I said, hey, if I'm going to preach a sermon or a series about marriage to our church, like I'd, I'd really rather know what you have to say to our church. Like I could go read five, six, seven, eight marriage books and I could spit out some information that might be helpful. But what does our church need? And Jen Marion said this, I wrote it down exactly. She said it. She said, I think so much about our marriages would be fixed if we simply remembered to be kind to each other. And I'm like, that sounds like it'll preach. So that'll be week one. Kindness. Kindness changes everything. So what is kindness? Kindness is his word, right? Like we all intrinsically know what it means without being able to say what it means. We just kind of know. And so for today's purpose, I'm going to give us a little bit of parameters, a kind of a bit of a definition for clarity's sake. Kindness for today, we're going to say this. Kindness is being considerate of how the other person feels all the time. Being considerate of how the other person feels, both in the words that we say to them and the words we say about them and our actions towards them. So easy, right? Well, not so much. But here's the deal. You cannot have your best us without kindness. So we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul has to say about this principle. And what we're about to look at, if you happen to be a follower of Jesus in the room, if you've made the decision to make him the leader of your life and you're actively trying to follow him, what we're about to read is imperative for you. It is something that, that you have to do. You, you don't get to choose this. Like Paul lays it out for us. We want to follow Jesus. Paul tells us how to follow Jesus. That's what we're going to read today. Like this is just what we do. But he's not just writing to marriages. Like he's not writing to people who are married. He's writing to the entire church, which is why it becomes imperative for us as followers of Jesus. But if you're not, 
If you're in the room with us today and you're not a follower of Jesus, man, we love having you here. We really, really do. And, and you're kind of off the hook. You don't have to do any of this. Like whatever, whatever I read from the Apostle Paul, you don't have to do any of it at all. But I promise you if you do, I promise you if you do, it will make your marriage better and it will make you better at being married. And this is what Paul has to say to the church uh, in a town called Ephesus. He was writing to this church and this is what he says. That, however, that, however, is just referencing what he had just said earlier in the chapter is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. See, Paul is writing to a group of relatively new believers. The the church in Ephesus was a lot of Gentile people, a lot of non-Jewish people that had decided to put their, they had heard about Jesus, decided to put their faith in him, but they didn't quite know how to live for him. They didn't quite know how to follow him. And so the apostle Paul is writing this letter to them to help them know how to follow Jesus. And, And Since this is Paul's one big shot, this is his shot to have influence over the church in Ephesus. He doesn't get to write a follow-up email when he's done. This is his one shot. And if he chose to talk talk about this topic, our ears should perk up a little bit. It, It should mean a little bit more to us. It should be a big deal to us. And this is what he says. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. See, as a follower of Jesus, we're to to remove the old self. We're we're to remove the, the sinful, the corrupted, the deceitful, the unkind self, the self that's all about me. All about me, all about me, what I want, what I desire, and what I need, and to put on the new self. After following Jesus to put on the new self, the self that says, hey, it's not about me anymore. It's not about what I want. It's not about what I desire. That self is considerate of how other people feel. That self is kind. And we cannot glorify God in our relationships, especially in our marriages, if we don't put on the new self. And here's the deal. Like, Bringing glory to God is our ultimate purpose in marriage. I I say this all the time in weddings that I'm performing. I say certainly you you can honor God as a single person. But when God brings two people together to become one in marriage, it's so that we can bring more glory to God together than we can by ourselves. The purpose of marriage is to bring glory to God. You cannot bring glory to God without putting on the new self. And what's interesting about what Paul does right here is he begins to speak about relationships in this context. He's not talking about a vertical relationship with God. He's talking about horizontal relationships with other people. And what Paul says next about how to put on the new self when it comes to this relationship, you really could sum it all up in one word. Can you guess what that one word is? Kindness. He goes on, he says this, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. In every relationship, especially in marriage, because with the proximity with which we live with this person, you're going to get angry. You're going to get angry. They're going to say something stupid. He's going to forget to do something he promised to do. She's going to spend too much money at Target. Like, deal with it. And deal with it in a way that's kind, in a way that's considerate of how that other person 
will feel. And the phrase used right there, do not let the sun go down, simply means deal with it quickly. Deal with it quickly because unresolved anger gives the enemy an opportunity for destruction. It gives the, gives the enemy a foothold in your life and he wants to destroy your marriage. I, I honestly don't know if I can think of a thing that I, I believe the enemy wants to do more than destroy your marriage. And he wants to destroy your marriage because of what it does in you. He wants to destroy your marriage because of what it does in them. And he wants to destroy it because of what it does in the lives of everybody around you. You see, this sermon is actually, it's not even a, a sermon all about the different ways to deal with anger in a relationship. Some of what Paul says is super helpful. Hopefully I'm going to give you some, some key things later on that can be helpful in that. But it's not a sermon about how to deal with anger. But I tell you this. One way to determine if you're holding on to anger in your marriage, you're not going to want to be nice to them. <laughs> like if you're struggling with this, like I can't even force myself to be nice, I can almost promise you it's because there's some lingering anger that you have not dealt with. So in that anger, you're going to have to choose to be kind. And here's one of the toughest things that we all know to be true. More than likely, you're going to have to choose to be kind first. You're going to have to choose to be kind first. And it's when you're actively being kind to someone who is not kind to you that you will see the power of Christ-like kindness. It's where you begin to see it come to fruition in your life. You, you can't have your best us without kindness. What's awesome is we could stop right there. We could stop right there. Paul gave us so much to work through and, and to, to try and implement in our lives. But Paul, Paul is always wanting us to go deeper. He's always wanting us to take one step further. And he wants to, kind of as a throwback to earlier, he wants to keep you from going into the river in the first place. He wants to head upstream. He wants to head upstream and stop you from jumping in the river and avoid the hurt and avoid the anger. So he goes on, he says this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. The word unwholesome actually in another version says corrupting talk. It is actually a word that is translated, at what it meant and what it talked about was spoiled and rotten fish. How gross, spoiled and rotten fish. It was actually used to say, don't have fish mouth. Like, don't, be, don't let the words come out of your mouth that are so gross that it stinks like rotten fish. Don't have fish mouth, but only. But only. Not, not sometime. Not most of the time. Not when things are good. Uh, not just when you're communicating well or the chemistry is good or you're feeling compatible at all, at all times. At all times, only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Let me give you a great question. I think this question would be great to help you with some of this stuff. Uh, even when the tension's there, even when it's kind of rough uh, and you're ticked and, and you want to blow up and you want to say things that would be hurtful, ask this question. This question is this, is what I'm about to say going to benefit them in any way? Is what I'm about to say going to benefit them in any way? If you ask the question, you'll get an answer. 
I, I can guarantee that. What you do with that answer is up to you, but if the answer is no, if, if the answer is there's no way that what I want to say will actually benefit them or this situation, then don't have fish mouth. Like, don't say it. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. They don't deserve it, right? They don't deserve my forgiveness. They, don't, they certainly don't deserve for me to be kind to them. Why should I be kind? Like, why should I be compassionate? Why should I forgive? Well, because just as in Christ, God forgave you. You want to be your best us? Well, that will require compassion. You want to be your best us? That's going to require forgiveness. And you don't do either of those things because they deserve it. You do those things because you've received it. By placing your faith in Jesus, you've received compassion. You've received mercy and grace and forgiveness and kindness. You want to be your best us? You can't be without kindness. Now, now I can say that main point over and over and over again. I could say it to the point that you might actually remember it when you get to lunch. That would be a win for me. I could say it so much. I might, I might even have convinced you that it's true. That would be awesome. But what good is any of that? What good is you simply knowing that main point to be true if I don't actually give you anything to do with it? And it's one of my main goals of this series. When I, when I decided to do this marriage series, I knew I wanted you to walk out with something you can do. I, I don't need to convince you that you need slash want to have a better marriage. Everybody knows that. But what am I supposed to do about it? Well, I, I came up with something today and I'll work hard next week. And I know Jimmy will work hard on the third week that I, that I think you can do. That you can implement as early as this afternoon should you choose to. And I'm calling it this. I'm calling it the seven-day kindness challenge. The seven-day kindness challenge actually came from a book that I read by Shanti Philhan. Uh, and she called it the 30-day challenge. But I wanted to lower the bar for you guys just a bit. Right? I didn't want to give you too much to work on. But I figured if you did this for seven days. I, I believe if you do this for seven days, you're going to see something happen that might actually spark a desire to want to continue to do it, maybe for the 30 days. Maybe even buy the book. The book goes deeper into this idea than I ever could. It'll tell you so much more about the science and the idea behind the, the, the uh, what's it called, the scientific study that she did to try and come up with this challenge. She saw some really amazing results. And if you're single, here's what's awesome. If you're single, you can do this with anybody. Like, there's no limit to the number of people that you can do this challenge with. You do this challenge with anybody that you want to have a better relationship with. In fact, I'm intending to do this same challenge with my kids, especially my older son. Because I want to have a better relationship with him, and so I'm going to give it a shot, see what happens. First thing is this, for seven days, say nothing negative. Say nothing negative. You probably think you know what it means to say nothing negative, but I'll promise you after reading this book... I. It goes far deeper than you might imagine. I didn't even realize it myself. This book goes into so much more about say nothing negative and what it really means. And man, it really challenged me. But for the purposes of us today, like we don't have time to go into all that. Let's just say this. For seven days, we're not going to say anything negative 
to them, and here's the tough one, or about them to somebody else. And that, that's really tough because we may not realize we're doing it, right? Like it, it could be something simple. We could be in the smallest little tiff with our spouse. And when we're with them, we can, we can be polite. That's fine. But then we get to work or we get to the gym, we get around our buddies, and, man, we, we vent, right? Because we've been told it's probably better to vent than kind of blow your lid with your spouse. So go ahead and just let it all out. But what we're actually doing, what we're actually doing is sabotaging the way we feel about our spouse, as we continue to say things negatively about them to other people, we're training our brain to think those negative things about them the next time we see them. So we don't say anything negative to them, and we don't say anything negative about them to somebody else. And the next thing we're going to try for seven days is find one positive thing to praise about the other person. Find one thing that you can authentically praise or affirm about your person and tell them. And tell somebody else. Here's a simple example for you. Holly, my wife, she doesn't cook often. Like we're not, we are not a dinner around the table every night kind of family. We have four kids, a lot of baseball. We're just a busy family. And so she doesn't cook that often. But a couple nights ago, I, I was busy planning my sermon. I was at work. I was working uh, later into the night. And I came upstairs and she had made dinner that night. And man, I did not do a good job. Like I had every opportunity in the world just to say thank you for making dinner. And, and not just assume that it was her responsibility to do it that night. But I didn't do it. But you could have. Like, that's a small example. Like, the simplest things in your life you have the opportunity to say thank you for. I could have come in the next, to work the next day and talked to Jimmy and said, hey, Jimmy, isn't it awesome? Man, when you're busy and your wife just takes care of something so that you don't have to. Like, what a great opportunity to praise and affirm something that she has done to be kind to me. And when we do this, like, this is pr the practical application of what the Apostle Paul tells us in another letter that he wrote. In Philippians, he says this, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. You see, when you do this, when you, when you praise the other person, when you thank them, when you tell somebody else about it, what you're doing is you're, you're looking for things that are worth praising. And the more you look for things that are worth praising, the more praiseworthy things you're going to find. And then the third thing we're going to do, just for seven days, you're going to try this for seven days. Do one small act of kindness. This is a pretty straightforward one. I, I don't know that I need to explain too much, but here's the idea. Here's an example for you. Holly and I, we both work full time, and we have for a while. So, like, we, we share nearly all, if not all, the household duties. Like, we don't have a list of hers and him's stuff that gets done around the house. Uh, probably a good idea, though, if you're going to get married anytime soon, you might want to figure that out. But we don't have it. And so, like, over the years, somehow things have just kind of fallen into a bucket. Like, we, we kind of know I do these things. We kind of know she does those things. But we know we share it all. And so for me, like, if I come home after a long week or a lot of work and she's mowed the lawn, like, that's a big deal. Because she didn't need to do it. Like, our lawn is really high right now because I haven't had time to do it. And anytime I come home and she's taking care of that, it, meant, it means so much to me. And for me, like, I, I work from home a couple days a week, especially when I'm writing a sermon. I, my office is right next to the laundry room. Like, I can go grab and do a couple loads of laundry just while I'm sitting in my office, and it's not that big a deal, but it's a way to show her it's an act of kindness that's so simple, <laughs> so simple, and yet she knows that I'm making effort to just let her know I love her and that I'm being kind to her. It could be as simple as going to the grocery store with your spouse so they don't have to walk by themselves. I almost said she. Did anybody catch that? Like, assuming that the wife, anyway, sorry, can't do that. 
Or you could watch the game with, with the other person and instead of watching The Bachelor. Like, you could do these things. And they're so simple. They're so, so simple. I don't care who watches The Bachelor. You guys decide that. <laughs> so this, these, are the, these are the three things we're going to do. And here's, I'm, I'm going to take a minute. We've got a moment. Go ahead and pull out your phone. Take a picture. You're going to learn a lot about the marriages around you based on who takes their phone out and who doesn't. But I really think these things can have a huge impact on your marriage going forward. See, the study used to develop this book that Shanti did, over 30 days of doing these three things, 89% of relationships improved. 89%. And after these 32 minutes of speaking and, and everything that I've told you, I know, I know there are people looking back at me I know there's people watching online who say, yeah, that's great. 89%, that's pretty good. But I'm in the 11%. I'm in the 11%. It's not going to work for us. You don't, you don't know. Plus, I have, I have the right. If you knew, I have the right. I have the right to be unkind. I have the right to not forgive. If, if you only knew. And you're probably right. It's It's probably true. Uh, you, you might have the right, but Shanti had this quote in her, in her book that I underlined and highlighted and knew I wanted to share, but I didn't really know how until this morning. And, and it hit me as I was preparing this morning. I wanted to share this with you. She says this. Our lives and relationships will never be happy without kindness. And we can't be kind without being willing to give up our rights. And we can't be kind without self-sacrifice. You see, the foundation of love, the, the foundation of kindness is, is willing to sacrifice all of me. It's willing to sacrifice my own rights, my own needs and desires, and what I feel like is best for me for what's best for them. Because that's what Jesus did for us. What they need and, and what they desire and what they want, how can, I, how can I serve them in that way? Not because it's what they deserve. We didn't deserve anything that we've already received. It's not because of what they deserve. It's because that's what love requires of us. It, that's what kindness requires of us. And you can't have your best us without kindness. Let me pray for us. God, I know how much you care about marriage. I'm so grateful for a church that works so hard to protect and to, to heal and to do everything we can to bring marriages out of crisis. And God, I, I want so much more to see and be a part of a church and for our church to become a church where we keep people from falling in the river as much as possible. So God, would you help us to know what it, what it looks like uh, to, to build strong marriages from the beginning? God, would you move in our hearts as we try and figure out how we can best love our spouse, how we can best be kind to those that we're in a relationship with and in hopes that ultimately that relationship will become all that you wanted it to be. Lord, we love you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.